This is Andy Perawal for Boxing Social in association with Betfred and I'm delighted to be joined by heavyweight contender Huey Fury over Zoom. Huey, first and foremost, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, thank you very much. How are you? I'm all good, mate. Obviously, good to hear you're doing well yourself. How are you finding life in lockdown? Obviously, rules and regulations kind of being eased at the minute, but how, how have you found the past few months? Uh, yeah, I've not been too bad. Like I said, I've just been uh, ticking along, just um, just been really uh, just been working on a few skills uh, and uh, been ticking along with me with the old man. What what have you been able to do training wise, and what haven't you been able to do training wise in comparison to like a normal camp? Obviously, you can't do comparison to like a normal camp, sparring and etc. and stuff, but. Um, like I say, you've just got to just keep uh, loose. Like I say, we've got no recognition of any fights coming up or anything. So, um, you've just got to stay uh, nimble. I actually remember the, the press conference on the week of the sour fight in Manchester. And your dad and, and yourself, you wore gloves back then because you were obviously taking precautions in case anybody had uh, the virus. During lockdown, how serious have you guys taken it? What else have you guys done to kind of make sure that you never had to come across anyone who may have been carrying it? Obviously, you don't know who does or doesn't have it. Um, like I say to you, what we've been doing is just been keeping ourselves to ourselves, keeping ourselves locked away and um, basically just following the rules. Before lockdown was kind of put into place, how did you actually see 2020 playing out on the back of the sour victory? Obviously, I would have liked a few more fights and everything gone, but like I say, I was very lucky to get that fight in, never mind anymore. That's something I was going to ask you. Do you feel fortunate in the sense that you were able to get one fight in, I think it was the last show in the UK from, from Eddie Hearn, just before lockdown? Yeah, 100%. I was happy just to get that fight in, because uh, it's like, obviously, the fight with Council in Monte Carlo, so I was itching to get back out there as soon as possible. So, uh, yeah, lucky enough, I got that one out of the way, and uh, like I say, I'm itching to go again. Reflect on that win for me, Huey, because I remember before the fight, you, you, yourself and your dad were both keen for you to show what you'd been working on, what you'd been improving on in the gym, and you were determined to show it in the ring on the night. You obviously stopped so in the third round. Just reflect on that fight and your performance and what you showed everyone. I say I only showed a little bit as, as well of being at the ring for so long, but we've been working on a, a lot of things with the southpaw and switching up and stuff like that, and. Uh, yeah, and more of the forward game. So we've been working on a lot of things uh, together, me and my dad. And like I say, you only really got to see a glimpse of that. Do you think it was important for you to stop Pavel to kind of put in an emphatic performance, get an emphatic victory behind you, just to keep the heavyweight division kind of on notice? Yeah, 100%. Listen, Sauer, obviously, there's, there's different levels, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, Sauer was going to get a stop team around. So... It was just a matter of time. Obviously, you fast forward since then, there haven't been any fights in the UK. We've obviously seen shows returning over in the US. I don't know whether you've watched them or not, but we've seen obviously behind closed door shows from top rank. What are your thoughts on returning behind closed doors? Is it something you're interested in? Yeah, um, like I said, it doesn't bother me a fight to fight. So behind closed doors, uh, in the backyard, it doesn't make a difference. One man which is kind of it started a very respectable rivalry between yourselves, yourself and Dave Allen. Um, I believe it was Dave at first who kind of said he'd be happy to face either you or David Price simply because other heavyweights in Britain were either occupied with other fights or wouldn't have been available. 
talk to me about that. Was you surprised when you saw that Dave said that he was open to fighting you, knowing you've previously trained alongside him? Don't make it bother to me. Like I say, a fight's a fight. You, you can mention the name, so we can have to fight. That's the, that's the type of fellow I am. I love fighting, and I'm a fighting man. So, like I say, if anyone mentions my name, obviously, I can a fight. So I've not I've not been uh, shy of the challenge so far. So it doesn't make a difference to me. I know, as I say, you know, Dave's done some training with yourself and, and Peter and what have you up north previously. What's your recollection of what Dave was like back then? If a fight was to be made, can you take anything from that, that time together? Like I say, it was a good few years ago. You can't really take time back from there. You can't really predict from me. I can't really predict from him. Time is time. Time goes on. People change. So, uh, listen, all I can say about Dave, yeah, he's a nice lad. We, we got back on him when we was in the camps and stuff. But fighting's fighting at, this, uh, at the end of the day. If we've got to fight, we've got to fight. And like I said to you, if he wants to fight, we can have it. It's, it's certainly about which has kind of got a lot of people talking, a lot of people will be interested to see, especially as for, for the moment in time, we're going to be seeing you know, UK fighters face each other because of travel restrictions and what have you. What do you make of Dave now as a fight? How do you think a fight would play out between yourselves? Like you say, I reckon it'd be a good fight and a good fight for the fans and I'd uh, look forward to seeing it myself. So, uh, like you say, if that fight did happen, it'd be good. Have you had any talks with, obviously you're both with MTK, um, have you had any talks with Eddie Hearn as well? Like you say to you, the fight's not really gone much uh, further than it has on the social media. So, if the fight is going to happen, like you say, Eddie Hearn and that, will get in touch with me. But like at the minute, I've heard nothing. Besides the Dave Allen fight, how do you kind of see the rest of this year going into next year, playing out for yourself, given what we've just what we're going through currently with the pandemic? Um, like I say to you, we're lucky to get back out this year, obviously with what we're going through. But um, like I say you've got to take one step at a time. You can't really predict things and uh, say you're going to fight or whatever. You've just got to take it easy, and hopefully we'll get a fight. So which one wanted to uh, just put past you as well. Obviously, last week we saw the announcement that you know, Tyson and AJ had agreed to financial terms over two fights in 2021. Everybody's keen to see the undisputed fight if they was on the compass of their bouts before that. What were your thoughts, though, when you heard the announcement? Yeah, listen, nothing's concrete into its concrete, is it? Into that fight. So obviously, you've got to get past the opponents, what they've got to face. But uh, like I say, it's the fight what everyone wants to see. AJ Pulev, obviously Pulev, a past opponent of yours. What do you make of that fight? What do you think Kubrat still has to offer at world level? Uh, like I say, Pulev, uh, he's got a good jab, Pulev, and he is um, he's still strong. Like I say, yeah, I was, it's a shame that my eye went in the um, first round and put everything out. That's another fight I like again. But I think in the later rounds, um, I think uh, AJ probably come on top. Someone I want to ask, you know, how much frustration do you feel when you look back to that point, knowing that it was kind of, you weren't obviously able to perform to your best because of how your eye went and how it affected your vision. How much frustration does that still carry with you to this day? You can't, you really, you can't put frustration into things. You've got to learn by your mistakes, learn by the experience of things and just take it on. It's like anything, you've just got to take all these experiences, what you have, a blessing, because I'm only young. I've had a lot of experience in the ring. So I say you, you knock them on and then you can't wait to go again. So you just, it's all in the arsenal. 
you fought some brilliant names as such, you know, as you mentioned, you're only young, but even younger when you fought the likes of Parker, you know, Povetkin, Pulev, some brilliant names to have on your CV. You may not have been successful in them, but to still have stepped up at such a young age, do you actually feel like you've been given the credit you deserve or? Listen, I can say to you, I'll get to where I'm going to get to and uh, obviously the credit will come eventually. So it doesn't really bother me. I'm only doing what I'm doing. And uh, people saying it, the only people with more criticism is myself. So like, like you say, I've stepped in with big names and um, I'm just willing to uh, obviously just just by inches not coming through them. So obviously I do believe I won the, um, the Parker fight. But again, to politics, it's just now, it's just about uh, getting the right fights and getting back up there. And obviously, somebody else want to get your thoughts on is Dillian White. Dillian's come out, he's going to take legal action against the WBC because of his mandatory position and how he may have to wait even longer if Fury AJ happens. What are your thoughts on Dillian's predicament there and the fact that he has had to obviously wait so long for a world title opportunity as of yet? Like I say, it is it's frustrating, isn't it, when you've been waiting for so long and fighting um, wherever to get them fights. It is a frustrating thing. So, like I say, you can't really... Um, it's all to do with the boards, isn't it? So, it's all out of your hands. It's, like, it's boxing politics, and as, you, as you've briefly touched on earlier on, you felt that it came into an influence for your fight with Joseph Parker. When you... Reflect over your career. What do you think away from fighting has been the biggest thing that you've learned about boxing? Uh, listen, like you said, there's a lot of politics involved, involved in things. Um, and they do. They always come up all the time. Uh, you just you just got to be patient in this game because otherwise, listen, things do pop up and you can get aggravated with it. It's more, I think, more harder outside the ring than it is the ring. So, like you say, it is. It's a complicated sport. Huey, we will leave up here now then. I will leave you to enjoy the rest of your day. Before I let you go, though, what would you like to say to everyone who tunes in to watch our interview? Uh, I'd like to say I hope everyone's taking care and enduring this um, situation what we're at the minute. And uh, God bless you all. And hopefully we all get back to working ways fast. So God bless you, sir. It's been a pleasure. And I'll uh, speak to you soon. Huey, that's brilliant. Thank you for your time. Stay safe. And thank you for speaking to Boxing Social. You too, pal. All the best. Take care. That's brilliant. Thank you, Huey. Listen, y'all, Jamie, Mike Tyson, there's rumors yeah. that you're going to play Iron Mike yeah. Tyson. Yeah, man. Listen, listen, Joe. You know how it is, man. It, 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 I, I've always been able to find characters, like you know, like I, I look at look at what I've been blessed to be able to do. Is if it was in Living Color, it was the Wanda. Hey, for real, that character, character that you legendary character. But I was worried that I would get stuck in that. But then. We went on to, you know, any given Sunday. My name is Willie. Willie Beeman, I keep the ladies creaming. And all my fans got them screaming. So, so another character. Then we moved on to uh, uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, Bundini Brown. Muhammad Ali is a prophet. How you got to be God's son? As soon as you come out the garage, you be number two. Character. 
Uh, and then uh, Ray Charles. How about you know, Ali? He might be one of well, he's my favorite boxer of all time, but yeah. he might be uh top three greatest American of all time. Yes, of course. A human course. being in America. Of course, especially for for all of what we're going through, and he sort of foreshadowed all of that. But I gotta tell you. You know Muhammad you, Ali talked a man off of jumping off the roof. Yeah. That and the, and the, and so those types of characters. You know, I've always been sort of blessed. So, so the Mike Tyson character, bro. You got Ray, though. You got yeah. you, you. Ah! you know what? Fat Joe, you make it do what it do, baby. Yeah, and you know, I love you, baby. Estás escuchando? Yo. But it's always <laughs> characters, Joe. So now, the Mike Tyson character, and the reason this is so important, because, bro, when I first started doing stand-up comedy in L.A., I'm burning it up. And that's back when it was like, you know, you see Rock Out, you see Eddie Murphy, you see everybody. And we were like gunslingers, right? So I was a young dude, 21. No, 20. I'm on, I'm on stage and I go to my Mike Tyson joke. And when I go to my Mike Tyson joke, nobody laughs. You know why? Mike Tyson is in the audience, right? And the dude yell out this with Mike, yo, Mike is in here. And I was like, oh, shit. And that's when Mike was knocking motherfuckers out for just looking at him wrong. Breathing. So the black girl in the front, the black girl in the front, I'm like, what you gonna do, Jamie? You gonna do your little jokes? You scared? I'm like, yo, shut the fuck out, right? And then the dude yells out, yo, Mike said do the joke, but that shit better be funny. So everybody went from looking at them to looking at me. I do the joke. I get a standing ovation. Mike runs up to me after, there he is. Come here. Come here, you crazy motherfucker. I want to hang out with you. Come on. Come on, talk to you. Come in. Let's go. Let's get in the car. And so I get in the car, and I'm starting to hang out with Mike Tyson. But this is when Mike was at his height. Like, nothing nothing was out of his reach. Like, he had the Lamborghini truck before, before anybody. Jail, after jail. Before. Way before. Ooh, this is when he young. The vel jail? Listen, the velvet suit. The velvet jumpsuit. The velvet tracksuit. You feel me? Like, when like, fighting Mitch Green at that yeah, like, it just, just when he just, you know, he's he just getting, was. huh? What you had out at that time? I didn't have nothing, bro. I was just a comedian in the club. He just back in the day, they would all come to the comedy act theater. So he's just in the in the hood club, man. I'm in the hood spot trying to get on. I got on the same clothes for the past three days. They used to call me Deja Vu because I had my clothes from the oak tree, my nigga. Like, I didn't have nothing. You know what I'm saying? They used to say, here comes Deja Vu. I said, that's all right. I'm going I'm to get these Yo, jokes on your ass. Mike Tyson, so he put you yeah. in the car and said, let's chill. Let's just hang. But So I became sort of, and it's crazy because he was in such a blur. I was like, he, didn't, he don't even remember me just hanging out with him. So I watched his career, Joe. I watched the ups and downs. I watched him come back when he came back. When he came back from being in jail, he was having a party at his house. And by that time, I was living in Vegas. And to be honest with you, I had ran out of money. And that's why I moved to Vegas. I had ran out of money, got me a little house in Vegas, and everybody was like, what the fuck you in Vegas for? And I said, I don't know. I just, I just know I need to reboot. You in and the, the next sabbatical. Thing you, know, you in the sabbatical. Yeah, man. The next thing you know, Mike get out of jail. Next thing you know, Mike is fighting in Vegas. Next thing you know, motherfuckers is calling me. Yo, we need to get up there. And Mike, you know, you got room. And, bro, I didn't have no money. All I had was, like, card tables and shit. I, didn't, I had futons and shit. I ain't had no money. So everybody at my house, right, and we go see Mike. Mike, he does his fight. I couldn't get into the fight, but this is after In Living Color, too. I couldn't get into the fight, but we go to the after party at Mike's house, and Mike is holding court, right? And everybody, Stevie Wonder, everybody. 
and this is when you saw what Mike was going through. Like he was still sort of like trouble. And for some reason, he didn't like Cisco. And Cisco was there, but he didn't get away from me, Thong Thong. Thong Thong, get away. I was like, I don't know what I was like, damn, Cisco, yeah, maybe Mike, you might Mike Tyson with two pops. Yeah. yeah, I was like, and I don't know, I don't even know if Cisco remember that, but he was just like, I don't know if he like thong. Cisco. Like I don't, I, huh? news, I don't know if the tough guys really like Cisco. I don't I don't know, but I mean I I thought Cisco was great, but Mike was just not having <laughs> whatever it was, Mike was not having a thing. Get away from me, thong, thong, whatever it was. And then the next thing you know, a girl asked him for a picture and he was and he flipped and he says, You're gonna try to uh something you're gonna try to do something. I don't know, and it, but he got mad, right? And we all went like whoa, and even and Stevie Wonder was there. And Stevie was on the panel. He don't know what's going on. He could just hear that there's danger, you know. So Stevie's like, <laughs> he's like, what? What? I said, Stevie, stay here because some shit is blowing up. <laughs> Stevie's like, what, what is it? I said, hey, shit. this is danger, nigga. So I watched all those moments, and now here comes the opportunity to actually play Mike Tyson. So I wanted to get my case study. Years ago, I called Mike, and it was a different Mike. And I think this is the Mike that we're going to appreciate. I called Mike on the phone and it was different because it was after everything had settled. I said, Mike, how you doing? I'll pray the Twilight, my brother. I'm just happy. How are you? I said, I said, I'm good. Why are you happy? I'm just happy because I, because I don't have a whole crazy amount of money anymore. So I, I'm happy. I said, why would you be happy about that? Because I don't have any, I don't have any vultures around me. You know, no people trying to take anything from me anymore. So I'm just happy. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a different mindset. I'm, I don't have the craziness. How are you, my good brother? And I was like, that's it. I said, Mike, that's the person. It's the person who's quiet now, the person who's settled. And the movie we tell is the reflective. We you tell, tell what you've gone through. You, you tell, tell your story. story. And and when and then I, 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 I looked at uh I looked at um I looked at his uh his documentary and all that. I said, Mike, this is the time. And he I said, Mike, to be honest with you though, the move the first cut of the movie is gonna be 10 hours because you continue to write chapters. You're continuing to add chapters by the way you are living. And so now, um, just a couple of days ago, I did an interview with my, my friend Mark and, and I showed him the process of, of how I'm going to achieve him, changing my body, doing uh, just pull-ups, pull-ups and dips and push-ups to change the way my body is. Now the legs, they're gonna have to help me out with the leg part, but I'm, I'm starting to change it now. And I posted some pictures of, of the way we started just before the quarantine we started doing tests, you know, so I was just sort of like, you know, changing the body. So I wanted to let people just take a look in on, on what it's going to take, because we're about, I would say we're about now the pushback about next year, probably, you know, because of the, the quarantine and everything like that. But I, 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 you get worried when you're getting ready to do a character, but when you can find that sweet spot, we found the body. I found the top part. And so now uh, it's just a matter of putting the, the body and soul to it. And, and uh, I, I, I think people will really be, be uh, blown away by how we achieve oh, you're gonna, you, you. You never let us down, man. That's one thing. Yeah. You, my brother, I don't think people shout out to B.B. Winans. B.B. Winans, oh, this, might be, this might be the first time we got spirit you on the uh, I the big, know big that B.B. Winans is here, Lord. Oh, Lord. Shout out to B.B. Winans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I'm going on in the name. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a funny story. I can tell you a couple with, with Mike Tyson, but I'll tell you something that was crazy to me. And we had him on the show, and I brought this up. I called Mike Tyson out of nowhere uh, because I wanted him to be in my video, my lifestyle. I was going to shoot oh, a video my God. Where Mike Tyson standing yes, behind yeah. me in my lifestyle. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you some crazy stuff. I'm going, I never forget, I was in the car going through Central Park. I called Mike in New York. It was a beautiful day. And I said, Mike, what's up, man? This is your brother. He was like, who's this? I was like, yo, this is Fat Joe. And he was like, he was like, what do you need, Joe? A million dollars? You want to spend you a million dollars? And I was just like, 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 you know, I love Mike Tyson, but I'm not his best friend. Right. And, and he just, the first thing he said was, do he, this, do I want him to send me a million dollars? Wow. At that point, I knew people must be hitting this guy yeah. for so much money. Yeah, that's out of this world. And I yeah, said, no, Mike, I don't need a million dollars. I want you to come in my video. He was right. like, now nah, I'm training for a fight. I can't do it, my brother. But, and I was just like, man, they it's must amazing. really hit this guy up for money like no other. Yeah, yeah. Man. And, that, and, and that, he was that's giving the, up the money. Yeah, and that was the thing. It's like, he didn't really care about the money. And, and without giving away too much, it, it's like he wanted to be the he wanted to be the, the champion, but at the same time, he just wanted a better life. He wanted to be in love. He wanted all the things that we want is just being thrust into you know what uh, uh yeah, you know what at, at 18, guy. 19 years old, sixty million dollars in his pocket from Catskills, New York, from you know, from the hood where you know, he, he he thought a life of crime would be his life and maybe he'd die early. So next thing you know, he's rubbing elbows with the, some of the most incredible stars in the world. Think about it. Michael Jackson, was Michael Jackson is famous. Of course, we all love Michael Jackson. Michael Jordan is famous. We all love him. But both Michaels go to see Mike fight. That's how big he was. And so, uh, and he still is. And so now to, to don that character, I think will be not only challenging but it'll be fun too you remember joe his party when you go to vegas how many look vegas turned into pimp city everybody i, I want to talk well, let me tell you something <laughs> i got the greatest mike tyson story i've told it before right he said it's too long for this maybe right no. so uh i told it before so but i'll tell you uh we have a show in jersey big big pun rest in peace was alive Oh my he God. was number one in America, platinum, first Latino. I'm talking about that time. Big time. So we had a show in Jersey. They closed down early, and, and Punk was like, yo, let's go to the tunnel. Now, the mm. tunnel is where you get shot, stabbed at. You got to go 100 deep. He said, right. nah, crap. Me and you, too deep. Let's go to the tunnel. Wow. And I'm like, yo, Punk. He was like, yo, twin, I, you know, my shit, number one. I want to go and feel it. And tunnel was right. the right. absolute... Hood of New York people right. sneaking in guns in their boots, wow. razors like, wow. So I said, "All right, pun, let's go." It's like two thirty in the morning. We get in the security. So the security is like, "Yo, y'all gotta take off your boots." So you know, no disrespect, big pun. He's six hundred, seven hundred pounds. Right. So pun was like, "Yo, I'm not taking off my boots." Right. So meanwhile, right. we're hearing still not a player. No, I'm not a bit of player. No. Uh. So Pun is like, yo, they playing my shit, man. Like, y'all know who I am. It's Joe Crack. So it's like nine security. 
So Pun start arguing with this one guy. Yo, these I'm talking about these was monsters. Damn. The, the security in the tunnel was absolute 300 brolic, like monsters, animals. Right? right, right. So him alone is talking to Pun like this. So Pun start, fuck your mother. Suck my... Yeah. Ah, yo, y'all know. So they going back at it. All the security is, is calming the com security down. They're like, yo, chill. That's big pun, fat joke. Hey, pun, he know. Pun know how to say some shit that it gets you so mad. Charged up. It sucks the bank. Right. He's a pro professional. <laughs> right? So pun saying the foulest shit in the world. So the dude is talking back. Now it's two security. Yo, fuck mm. them though. So I'm back. No, fuck you. Like, uh -oh. You know, big pun, fat Joe, we're going, now it's four out of the nine security. Like, no, fuck you. Like, who oh. y'all think y'all is? Y'all talking that shit. So it gets to, like, six security. There's only three of them saying, yo, chill. Like, we don't got to go there. I tell pun in his ear, yo, pun, they are going to beat the shit out of us. I mean, they are going to whip our ass so bad. Bro. Fuck them. Fuck that's a punch. Right. So I'm like, all right, because I know how to take an ass Number one record energy. Yes. I'm a professional ass whipping cleanser. If it's for my brother, <laughs> hey, fuck it. We caught an ass whipping. Right, 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 right. So um, so now it's like seven out the nine. So it, it's gonna go down. You know, out of nowhere you hear a voice. Hey yo, Joe. Hey yo, punch. Fuck these dudes. You right, pun. We turn around. It's Iron Mike Tyson with the Come Kofi on. on. Iron on. Mike Tyson with the Kofi on. Come on. Had a suit on with Penny Lopez. He started taking his Gucci Lopez off. Fuck these dudes. I'll fuck them up right now. <laughs> fuck all these dudes. Yo, pun. Yo, chillin'. Out of God. Bro. Allah himself brought him behind us. Right. We we're going to get our ass whipped. Right. You know, you turn around and this Iron Mike Tyson. Incredible. 245 in the morning. Cop Diesel. Both. Right. It wind up happening. The security that started with Pun started running away from Mike Tyson. And Mike Tyson was chasing him around the car. <laughs> and at one point, he turns around and he goes, yo, Joe, yo, Pun. Stop Mike Tyson. Yo, chill. Tell Mike Tyson something. <laughs> security was running, B. Bro, Josie, baby, that's Black Forest Gump shit right there. That's Black. No, it happened Forest in Gump. real life. That's amazing, man. But that's but that's what I'm talking. The the power of Mike and what he was and what he is now and the ability to have. We thought we was gonna lose Mike. Let's just be honest, man. We thought oh, the way yeah. he lived. We thought we was gonna lose him because it was like. How does someone maintain that bright of a star shining that bright? And now we, we, we embrace him. We love him. And, man, when I tell you the way we're going to craft the story of what he is now, today, and that reflection, I think we go.
seconds out with Lou DeBella for the latest edition of DeBella's Digest. And Lou, as we always start, how's your week been? Um, I don't know, I'm, I'm watching Major League Baseball crumble. I have two minor league teams that probably aren't going to have a season. And boxing's crawling back. Um, my week's been fairly shitty. I mean, you know, it's sort of another, you know, more groundhog day. I'm getting tired of, of this. But, you know, and then I'm watching things open as their coronavirus numbers start shooting up all over America. So there's no leadership here, and everything seems to be almost inexplicable. Um, there doesn't seem to be a connection between science and our decision-making processes. So, honestly, I'm rather um, concerned. That, that, that's probably, like, the one word I would say is my state of mind right now is concern. I wish that boxing could offer us some light relief from the problems facing the world, but unfortunately, last night's show... Um, once again brought judging um, to the fore, and I'm sure you saw it, uh, particularly the... Anti- oh, it just proves you can have fucked up, shitty, irresponsible judging, even in an empty room with no crap. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and look, Dave, Dave Moretti's a good judge. He had a shitty scorecard in the main event. It didn't affect the decision, thank God. But in the first fight, Champion lost that fight. I don't give a shit what anyone says. I watched the fight. I know who won the fight. And Antonio DeMarco won the fight. So, managing to get infuriated with a decision in the middle of a pandemic with watching a fight in a dead room with no audience, it was very frustrating. But you can't blame that on the promoter. You can't really... I mean, that's just boxing. We can't get out of our own way. Which is, a simple, which is something we're sharing at the moment with Major League Baseball in the state. Bob Aaron, when I spoke to him last week, predicted that having no crowd would be a benefit to the judging, and we'd actually start seeing some better decisions. No, I, 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 you and I discussed that a while ago. You asked me the question, I think, on one of our early, yeah. I believe, I've answered the question a number of times, whether I thought it would make it any better, I never did, because it's not the crowd that results in the bad judging, it's the connections of judges to ratings organizations, the way that judges are paid and compensated and put up. I mean, the system of judging should be completely independent from the politics of boxing, not immersed in it. And the system of judging in, throughout the world in boxing has always been completely fucked up because, you, you know, you have, you have IBF judges, WBO judges, WBA judges. You have judges that go to conventions. The judges see who's getting all the awards. They see who the star fighters are. And there's, the system is rigged in favor of the fighter who's supposed to win. Now, obviously our sympathies go to Tony DeMarco, who deserved to win that fight. But just looking at the main event, it seemed like the upset, Mike Planier beating uh, Josh Greer Jr., a lot of people were predicting it in the build-up. Is that kind of a, a shot at the matchmaking, perhaps, that a lot of people seem to see this upset coming? I think it was good matchmaking. I think, I, I think the more interesting, I mean, I think that they wanted a real fight. Um, I found it fascinating, though, that, I mean, that, those odds opened at, like, 1,500, plus 1,500 on, on uh, Mighty Mike. And then I bet the fight. I literally bet the fight um, about 10 minutes before the fight at plus 185. 
<laughs> so it right. went from plus 1,500 to plus 185. So I would think that some bookings took a beating on that fight. What did you make of his performance, Planeer? And also, Josh Greer came into the fight in the last couple of rounds. He just left it a bit too late. He can come again, I would imagine. I've always... Well, I, mean, I, I think Greer's sort of an exciting fighter. I don't mind him. But I never fancied him as a world champion-level guy. I really didn't. And, um, and I knew Planeer was a tough guy. And, I, and, and when, when Sean Gibbons is that confident, usually he knows something. Um... I think it was just good matchmaking. I think they wanted a, a, a good main event, and they got one. Uh, you know, it, it was it was competitive, but clearly, you know, Pernier won. I should say, Sean Gibbons always seems quite confident. To be fair, <laughs> he's just that kind of guy. He's a very strong character, isn't he? But um, talking about one of the fighters you work with, Regis Progre, in the last week we've seen the implosion of a fight that was scheduled before lockdown between him and Maurice Hooker at a catchweight, which initially wasn't really what Progre wanted anyway from what we were told. He, he wanted it at 140. As a cons- uh, we wanted it at 140. When we made the fight, Hooker said he couldn't make 140 comfortably. And then since it was a non-title fight, he wanted it at 143. We made a deal for 143. And now Hooker wants nothing less than 145. And Regis isn't ready to move up to welterweight. And when you start moving up to 145, 146, 147, it's very difficult in your next fight when you're you're no longer 20 years old to get down to 140. So, you know, and, and by the way, like, we would, we, we would have been willing to negotiate up to 144 and a half. I don't understand why Maurice Hooker thinks he controls everything. Like, you know, and, and um, it's a shame because it's a terrific matchup. But, but this isn't us. And there was another thing. Eddie came and said, we need you to take a pay cut. We need both sides to take a pay cut. Um, what I said was, Team Progre is not going to blow the fight, but determine, because we, we, we always had a 50-50 deal, I said, determine what hookers people will take. And I'm sure that I can get my side to do the fight at the same number. Apparently, they got Hooker's side never agreed on the money. They they didn't agree on a they didn't agree on a cut. I guess Hooker's feeling was it was going to be incredibly hard work and very very difficult for him to get down to weight. And I don't think he wanted to get down and give up money. Yeah, he was willing to do one forty three before lockdown. Now it's one forty five. Does that suggest that he hasn't been completely living the life during lockdown, or just that he's naturally getting bigger? I mean, he's not, I mean, how, he's not a, like, he's not 18 years old. He's not just growing. You know what I mean? Now, that being said, what it does suggest is maybe he did work out during the lockout, and maybe he built muscle mass, and, and he's having problems with his weight. But you still have two full months. And, and you're talking about two full months at 144 pounds, we had agreed to that. 144, which we, we gave him another pound. 144 pounds, which is four pounds higher than you've traditionally fought at. So I'm, I'm sort of perplexed. It, 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 look, I believe that he just doesn't want the fight. Why do you? Th- but where are we going? I mean, this is a, this is. And by the way, this is putting Regis at a really big disadvantage. Hooker said a month ago, "I'm not going to make the weight." 
maybe maybe Poirier would be fighting Ivan Baranchuk. So Ivan Baranchuk committed to another fight on ESPN, where by the way, a lot less money than he would have paid, gotten paid to fight Poirier. So I mean, in a lot of ways, the domino effect when a guy like Hooker does something like this, it affects other people. He signed the contract. He signed the contract. He knew that the fight would be rescheduled potentially as soon as it was possible. And I just think this is totally unprofessional. Why do you think, I mean, it's hard to look into someone else's psyche, but why do you think he was willing to accept the fight two months ago and now he just doesn't seem to fancy it? I don't know. Maybe he gained some weight. He's been hanging out. You know, he's with Balmack and Crawford, but Crawford and, and, um, and that whole crew in, in Omaha and maybe, you know, talking to other people and talking about his concerns with his own weight. I mean, he may be getting advice that says you shouldn't put, you know, if you're if you're going to be less than 100% uh, at 140, you know, four, you, you should just move up the welterweight. You know, but the problem is going to be, I don't think people are laying out a, a, a uh, yellow brick road for him. I don't think that he's going to find uh, a life jacket with good money someplace else. And he's also putting us at a great disadvantage from all my standpoint, promoting regions, it's very hard to find a big find the fight in an environment where a fight blowing a fight blowing up in this environment instead of happening. And and anybody who has a fight happening now should be grateful. Oh yeah. So so the idea that this guy's blowing the fight up sort of has my side of the table pretty infuriated and I find it unprofessional. And I really would love the fight to happen because I'd like to see Regis beat the shit out of my hooker. <laughs> Yeah, you have to feel for Regis, especially since, for most people, he's, at worst, the number two super lightweight in the world. Look, look, I'll be honest with you, too. I mean, I'm not going to argue about the decision in the last fight. But I will tell you that the World Boxing Super Series, which is a disgrace, by the way, and not a professional entity, and not something that's buckled up, and that it was very mismanaged, it was not what they said it was going to be. But we had all sorts of disputes with them. We were unsure about the date of the fight. Um... I think, you know, Josh Taylor fought every fight in that tournament at home, in effect. And, you know, Regis went to the UK a month before the fight, spent that entire month promoting the fight, when Josh never came out of his training camp. And, and basically, part of the reason why I don't want to disadvantage Regis against Mo Hooker is because we disadvantaged Regis every way possible. Well, Josh, no excuses. You know, we could have, we, 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 you know, we were willingly there. And we willingly went to the UK and we, we did everything that was asked of us promotionally. But, but, you know, that fight was set up to favor Josh Taylor. I'm not going to make the same mistake fight twice with this fighter's career. So, like, we're not going to give every advantage to Maurice Hooker because he and his team are being assholes. So what happens next for Regis? Like you said, it's very hard to find. I don't know. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm trying to find out if there's an opportunity at the zone or through Eddie. And at the moment, there doesn't seem to be. Now, we're, we're willing to fight everybody. But, you know, Eddie told me that he went to Chris Algieri to, to see if he would do the fight with Regis. And that Algieri priced himself out of the fight. Um, I don't get where anybody's pricing themselves out of fights right now. I just don't understand it. But, look, Algieri has a career as a chef and a... Uh, you know, he has that whole thing going on with a wellness expert. And, you know, I guess he's in a position where he can pick and choose when and if he wants to fight. I don't 
that something gets worked out for him as you said it's through no fault of his own that he's been left I mean we would come to Eddie's backyard and fight Lewis Ritson in fact we'd go to Lewis Ritson's backyard to fight Lewis Ritson <laughs> yeah I don't know if Lewis Ritson's backyard is quite as big as we'd go to Ricky Burns' backyard to fight Ricky Burns and if there's anybody over there in the UK you want us to fight we'll go over and fight. we'll fight him you know it's not about we're not, we're not looking to pick and choose but I have a fighter with a family that hasn't earned money in a long time that needs to win so Regis Progray officially challenging the whole of the UK, basically. Nobody, there's nobody in Eddie's stable. There's nobody in the zones here or universe. There's nobody at ESPN at 140. There's nobody that we won't fight. And by the way, we're not the ones fucking this fight up with Murray Sucker. He signed the contract. I mean, you know. And then, by the way, to sign the contract, he still not. He signed the contract for 143. We would move the number to 144. You still won't fight. I mean, what does that say to you? Does it strike you as a guy that really wants to fight or is completely dedicated to his career right now? No. So, I'm very frustrated, Danny. But I'm frustrated in a global sense. <laughs> I'm frustrated not just, I'm frustrated with boxing, I'm frustrated with baseball, which is my other, the other sport I work with. I'm frustrated with the United States government. I'm frustrated with a lack of, of uh, you know, of attention to data and science. I don't know what's going on in, in a world where politics trumps science. You know, um, that's not my view of how things should work. P- pun, pun intended. Trump science. Very good. Exactly. Trump science. <laughs> pun intended. Yeah. I'm just a frustrated motherfucker right now. <laughs> I know. It's, well, things can only get better, in theory. <laughs> Fingers um, crossed. Well, it's been entertaining anyway, as it always is. Thank you, and it's a pleasure checking in with you, my friend, and I'll check in again in a week. Brilliant. Take care, Lou, and we'll see you soon. Welcome everyone, episode six of Rivals, and what a banger, what a fight, everybody's talking about it. Sam Eggington against Ted Cheeseman. This one, most likely going to kick off our fight camp series, be announced sometime next week. Welcome boys, welcome boys. I think this is a great example of fights that are going to start getting made because of the lockdown, because everyone wants to speed up, get on with her career. First of all, welcome guys, and Sam... I'll start with you. That's a hell of a beard, mate. That is a hell of a beard. Yeah. I mean, the hair, is, beard, is, the hair is controversial, but the beard is... <laughs> it's, it's, it's one Quarantine of the best beard. lockdown beards I've seen. Quarantine beard, man. <laughs> I, 
time to go out to quarantine, isn't it? Sam, we know that you, you don't really turn down fights. Let's, let's go back to the fight in Italy uh, at the end of last year. Massive moment for your career. Really, you were fighting for your, your career that night. Yeah. And uh, great memories of that win. I remember seeing your yeah. face. I actually watched the clip back of the stoppage and your face was almost like, relief, I'm back. That was a big moment for you. Yeah, I mean, like you say, after the Liam Smith fight, um, it, was, it was touch and go. Um, and when we got that offered, you couldn't really say no. It was, it was such an opportunity to, to go over and fight in a different country for a very good belt. So, you know, we took it. And as soon as we took the fight, um, my mindset was just, you know, I want to go over there, do a job and be back to where I need to be. Um, and that's what we've done. You've gone from kind of like being a guy who had nothing really to lose to all of a sudden having a top 10 ranking now yeah. with the IBF. You know, all of a sudden, Ted Cheeseman's fighting you, trying to rip that from you. You know, you've yeah. almost gone from sort of hunter to hunted in this fight. You know, we know that you, you love to go to war, but expecting a tough top fight with Ted Cheeseman, we've seen him in so many great fight of the year contenders. And yeah. you know, he's a young, fit, fit guy. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, you don't have to watch Ted fights and all that. You know, you don't give up when it gets hard. Um, but, you know, I have, I have full faith the fact that, you know, if anyone can make him give up, I'll, I'll be that guy. Um, you know, it'll be a good fight while it lasts, but, you know, it, it is what it is. It's, it's a fight. going to, you know, bring the fans, you know, to the TV anyway. Because, um, like you say, we both fought, the way we both fight, it's just going to, it's going to gel for a good fight. So, um, but like you say, it, It'll be a good fight for the way we fight, but I generally think, you know, I've just got, I've got enough to, to, to get the win. Ted, obviously, this is a massive opportunity for you. And I think when we talk about fights coming out of lockdown, you were supposed to have an eight-rounder at, yeah. at the O2 on March 28th before that show was postponed. But it's kind of like, no one wants an eight-rounder anymore. You know, we, we feel like we're making up for lost time. And this is a massive opportunity for you to burst into the top 10 in the world. Yeah, of course. Um... I think Charlie and Tony know I the, the, the sounds of eight round fights and stuff. I like to be in these big fights. These are the fights that excite me. They get me up for it. They make me train properly. And uh, my head's the best it's been at. I'm training the hardest I have for a long while. I've got that like hunger back, the determination back. And I can't wait to push on my career. I'm still, like you say, I'm still a young fighter. And I've had a lot of, lot of hard fights and, and good fights. So it's now time to push on with my career, take this belt off Sam. Um, and show everyone that I'm back how, how I was rolling before everything went wrong. You are young and Sam is also still young as well, but you must have grown up, you know, in your early years, literally probably when you turned pro, watching Sam Eggington in wars, you know, whether it was for the European title, whether it's against Malinagi, whether it's against Frankie Gavin, whether it's against Bradley Ski. He's, he's been in some big championship fights and although, like I said, you're both young, he does have the experience on you in that respect, although you have for European level yourself and, and, of course, British titles. Do you feel that you are, you know, inexperienced compared to, to Sam Eggington in this fight or do you, you, you fancy your, your ring craft against someone like Sam? Because I think a lot of the time, Sam, it was almost like Sam was thrown into fights. But when you break down his career now, he's been in so many championship fights with so many different experiences as well. He is, he is vastly experienced. Yeah, uh, Sam, Sam is very experienced. But obviously... Um you pick up things from the fights. And the thing is, the difference between me and Sam is Sam coming in the sport it was his, to, to earn a living and everything. For me, it was to try and be the best. 
and I've still got that aim. I don't, I don't think Sam's still got that sort of drive. I think this is really more all about money for Sam. For me, it's to go as far as I possibly can. Do you know what I mean? And as much as I had to stumble last year, I had a lot of personal issues and I've got past them. And I'm feeling the best I've felt for a long time. I'm still maturing and I'm just looking to push on and show everyone how good I can really be. I, I, I was boxing even at, at parts of my early part of, pro, of my pro career. I was doing boxing on the back foot as well as coming forward. But sort of in the Garcia fight, where I was throwing my head out there to keep getting it, it's sort of I took the thing of, oh, I like to eat shots. But a lot before was all took on the gloves and good defence before and good pressure. But it changes, things move and roundabouts. But now I can't wait for to get this fight out of the way to put a perform, really good performance on and get back to where I need to be. And everyone will believe it now. Do you know what I mean? I've had I've had the fight we're coming forward against Conway. I've boxed on the back foot against um Fitzgerald and now it's about going and dominating against Sam Megan, who's a good name. But I just feel I'm a lot fresher a lot fitter and a lot more determined to get gold away. Sam, one of those things that you've always had in your career and made you so dangerous and relentless coming through was the desire. Ted said there, he feels like it's more about the money at this stage in your career. Do you still, do you still have the desire? I mean, we saw it in Italy, but you know, I, I look back at the Liam Smith fight, you know, was that the wrong fight to take? I mean, was Liam just a world-class operator? Did you still have that? Liam, he just... It, it just it didn't fall right on the night. Um, and to be fair, it's going to be very hard for it to fall right on the night against someone like Liam Smith because, you know, he's such a quality operator. When he talks about, you know, the desire and it's all about the money, he's, he's, you know, he's right. It's always been about the money, so that ain't changed. Um, I've done everything up to now because, you know, that's what I've turned pro for, like you said. Um, but the desire is still there. Uh, it's... The thing was to make money and keep, you know, everyone comfortable. You know, in my, you know, my kids and my missus, and that's always been the, that's always been the case. So he is right when it says it's, it's down to money to win these fights. That's what brings the money. So the the that is the desire. You know, I I want to win these fights to earn more money, and that's Has that always point. been a desire for you. Sam, that's always been. Hello, only you, turned over. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. You know, there's no secret between. You know, your relationship with John Pegg and Mild Man, and it was always, you know, their aim together was to make sure that you could retire from the sport, you know, with houses paid for, with no mortgage, you know, in a good position. And I kind of feel like you've achieved that now. Do you know what I mean? So, and I know you want more, you know, everybody wants to keep going, keep improving, yeah. keep making life better. But what made you so tough in the early days was that you didn't have anything. You yeah. didn't have the house. You, you know, you had, you know, you knew that, this, you had to win this fight to get that life. I'm not saying you've got the perfect life now, but you you must be sitting there thinking, I can't believe what I've achieved out of boxing. So yeah, when no, the game no. gets tough against Ted Cheeseman in the back garden, are we still do we still have that old Sam Eggington that used to just bite down on the gum shield and, and yeah. walk through fire? Yeah, look, it, you know, I could I could have earned a million pounds from my last fight or whatever. The fact is, you're either wired that way or you're not. You know, and I am wired that way. If it gets hard, I bite my gum shield and, and, and I go at it. That's just, you, you can't teach that. You know, and I think I think if you ask Ted the same thing, he'll tell you the same thing. You can't teach that. You either you either have that in you or you don't. There's a lot of people you watch and, and you know, it gets tough and, you know, they'll spit the gum shield out, take a deep breath. I don't know. You know, it's anything. Um, I don't have that in me. Um, it's, either, it's all or nothing. And that's where I live in general. You know, it's all or nothing. Um, 
with training, with fights. Um, you, if, if, if I don't feel like I'm going to train my hardest, I just won't go to training. It seems pointless to me. You either do it all or you do you do nothing, and and that's how and that's how it is. Um, same with fights. You know, it's not so much like it's, it's in the garden. No one's there. But if I'm having a fight and there's, it's a packed out arena, I want to win that fight. If I'm in a fight in an empty room, you're having a fight. You still want to win that fight. So you're still going to bite down on your gum shield and try and do anything you can to win that fight. And I think you know you either wired that way or you're not. And, and I am. You know I believe that. So when it gets tough against um, Ted, you know. I, you know, I'll bite down on the and it'll and I'll, and I'll you know go off what I normally do. Ted, you talked about your previous fights. You're quite right against Garcia. You just came forward. You know, we know that your defence was poor that night against uh, Conway. You kind of did a little bit of both against Fitzgerald. Yeah. You you surprised everybody, including me. Yeah. And and I saw a performance off the back foot from Ted Cheeseman, which was very very good. I think a lot of the fans watching this fight will say, well, I hope he doesn't box off the back foot against against Sam Eggington. We want them yeah. to, to go at it. Do you feel, without giving game plans away, you have to kind of mix it up against Sam Eggington? We know Sam's always going to fight the same way. Do you know what I mean? And you've shown yeah, that you box in different ways. How do you have to go to the task of fighting Sam Eggington? I think the thing is, when I, when I fight Sam, yeah, it, like the thing, what I respect Sam as a fighter. He's a really good fighter and stuff, but... I think he's a he's a big massive welterweight. You know what I mean? And I I think he's a fragile like middleweight. And I think when when push comes to shove, when I stand there and I start bullying him and dominating him in the middle of the ring, he ain't got no plan B. I have if it, if it goes goes wrong with me, I can box. But with me, if I start pushing him back and he can't handle the strength or power, he has to like try and fight back. And if it ain't working, what what what's he what does he do next? You know what I mean? And the thing is, I know I can box. I've got that plan B. I've got plan A and plan B. But I know, I feel I'm going to be too big and too strong for Sam. Sam, get pushed back, get bullied around at 54. I see you crucify yourself time and time again at 47 to make it. I know John still sort of says, you know, well, maybe we could, every fighter looks back and goes, well, maybe we can still, for me, 54 is your way. But do you feel like you, could, you can hang with those bigger guys at 54? Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know it's it's easier said than done, but I don't think fifty four is huge. It's, I mean, to get to one forty seven, you know, I was chopping off you know limbs at this you know at one point. It was it was getting really hard. Um, I've, I am I am a, um, a light middle. I mean, making one forty seven again is just you know it's it's probably not doable. Um, although you know the right opportunity to come up, I'll try. But I mean, at one fifty four. I don't think people are too big or too strong for me um, at all, really. Um, you know, Liam, he weren't so much big and strong as just, you know, he had the experience and the, the ring craft to, to do what he does. And I think a lot of people have looked back at the Liam fight and seen me on the ropes and thought, you know, he's just too small for, for like me, though. Um, but that weren't the case. It's just his ring craft is, you know, above anyone else of, of box, I suppose. Um, but nah, I, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say Ted's gonna, you know, dominate by pushing me back or or or, or bullying me in any way, shape, or form. When you, I know you, you don't study boxing, and you know, I was talking about Ted's fights earlier before he logged on. But when you look at that 154 pound light middleweight scene, 
I mean, you've got the two guys who are sort of looking at the, the world titles right now, which yeah. of course is Kel Brook and Liam Smith. But then beneath it, you've got this fabulous almost quartet of guys in you, in Ted Cheeseman, in Scott Fitzgerald, in Anthony Fowler. Where do you put Ted Cheeseman in that mix? I know you don't study all these guys, but you know, do, do you put him up right up there? With, I mean, when you look at those three, Fowler, Fitzgerald and, and Cheeseman. I mean, it's hard to say. You've got to put Fitz at the top just for the fact of, you know, his last, you know, three, two or three fights. I mean, he's beat Fowler and he's beat Cheeseman. Um, with Cheeseman and Fowler, it's hard to say. Um, they've both had decent wins, uh, but they've both come up short against the same kid. So, it's hard to say, really. Um, I've got a question for you, Sam. Who's the easier fight? Anthony Fowler, Scott Fitzgerald or Ted Cheeseman? I'd say probably Cheeseman. If I'm on it. And that's not because, you know, I'm fighting him. Um, when you sent me the list of, of the, you know, of the, of the fights, you know, we picked Cheeseman because we thought it would be a good fight and it's, you know, it's one to, you know, we can win, I think. Um, the other two are much harder fights, I think. I mean, I've sparred um, Fowler and I've sparred Fitzgerald and they're, they're, they are big, strong guys. Um, but, it's, I, I mean, I wouldn't put Ted far behind either of them, but, you know, Fitzgerald's got to be at the top. Um, between Fowler and Ted, I can't really say. You know, I've never sparred Ted, I've never fought Ted. I've done a bit with Fowler, well, you know, mine around with Fowler, but and that was a while ago, so I can't really say. Um, but you know, Fitzgerald's got to be at the top. Ted, if you get through Sam Cheeseman at fight camp, uh, Sam Eggington, even Sam Cheeseman. <laughs> uh, where do you where do you want? Do you want that Fitzgerald rematch? Do you like the yeah. Anthony Fowler fight as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the Fitzgerald fight, obviously for me, I felt I boxed his head off and I I done enough. I won. I feel, I feel minimum I won seven rounds, so I done enough to win the fight. But now, if I could go back when it got to them later rounds, I would have stand there a lot more and and bullied him because I was probably a lot more uh, less tired than what he was. But I was sort of coasting because I felt I'd done enough. Not coasting, but just not getting involved too much, trying to still move while he was chasing me. But if I had that opportunity again, I wouldn't let it thingy. As soon as I've, I'm, I'm up and cruising, I'd start pushing him back and, and let, hitting him with body shots, hitting red shots and try and get him out there. I wouldn't sort of obviously just try and go to points. And finally, from both of you guys, Ted, massive opportunity for you to, to completely yeah. you know, get back on track. You see yourself being too good, too strong, yeah. What is it that gives you the victory against Sam Eggington and how does the fight play out at fight camp? Uh, but to, to be honest, for me, I, I don't feel like I'm delusional, but I feel myself, I'm, I'm a, I'm a one-defeat uh, fighter and and that was against a really, really good fighter and I, my head went there. But I feel now, fresh head, fit, determined, I feel that like I'll get Sam out there in the later rounds. Obviously, he's going to have a go earlier on, but as the rounds go on, he's going to keep getting a hit, hit, because he's sort of his defence is his face, so once I keep hitting him later on, the damage is going to come, and he's going to one one of the shots are going to land, and he's going to go. Sam, Cheeseman goes for the stoppage. Obviously, going to back himself. You're confident going into this fight, and again, a must-win fight for you. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I'm confident with this fight. You know, you, you give me the, you give me a list of you know opponents. We picked him out. Um, so you know, I am confident with this fight. It's, it's not a fight. That you know worries me like other fights have, um, but yeah, I'll get a win. You know, 
any way, shape, or form, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that you know I'll, I'll walk out with you know the W, hundred percent. Well, it's the egg be the cheese. It's not a cooking show. It's an absolute war at Matchroom Fight Camp, the IBF International light middleweight title coming very soon to you. Don't miss it. This is Rob Tebbett for Boxing Social in association with Betfred. Delighted, as always, to be joined by the president of the WBC, Mr. Mauricio Sullivan. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Rob. I'm trying to grow the, the good Rob beard. <laughs> I think you've got a while to go before you catch me up, my friend. Yeah, I'll shave on Monday. I was just trying to give it a try, but no good. I look like a... <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to seeing you uh, clean shaven. I think this is the first time. But anyway, what have you been up to since the last time I spoke to you? Boxing has returned. Boxing, Boxing has returned. returned. Uh, there have been um, three different, different cards in, in Las Vegas. And uh, now tomorrow, Saturday, Saturday, there will be fights in Mexico, Mexico under a television studio setting, like, like a, a TV, TV program. program. And... Um, I think, I think the, the UK, UK and Japan will open up in July. So things start to shaping up, start to, to getting excitement in the boxing world. And uh, that's very, very good for everyone. Now, I believe next week we're going to see World Championship Boxing return for the first time. The WBA's regular title will be at stake um, for Andrew Maloney um, next week against Joshua Franco. When can we expect to see WBC titles being contested? There's, uh, there's some, uh, I, I would believe in August, uh, there could be some title fights. We've had communications from all over the world, and we are assessing every single weight category independently. Uh, just to see where the champion is from, if there's a mandatory situation, where the mandatory contender is, how they've been training, and every, every case has been uh, conducted separately. Uh, we're having all uh, flexibility, uh, understanding of the so many difficulties that this lockdown has brought to everyone involved in boxing, especially the fighters who may not have been able to train at the high level uh, that is expected with sparring, with a camp. So we're addressing and assessing every situation separately. One of the fights that has been mooted as potentially returning would be uh, Vasil Lomachenko, obviously franchise champion with the WBC. His bout with Teofimo Lopez is rumoured to be uh, potentially returning to Las Vegas in September. What could you tell me about that from the WBC? Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's what he's been uh, talked about. We have not received any official documentation, but that's one of the big fights. Uh, that fight was... Uh, creating, creating a great excitement uh, when, when it was announced, announced. and uh, we expected uh, to happen as they both have announced that uh, they're ready to get it on and, and do it uh, as soon as it is possible, doable. Now, the last time we spoke, Mauricio, we spoke about the clean boxing program and the return of drug testing in the sport. Um, recently, I saw the announcement of the latest episode of WBC Talks where you had Dr. Margaret Goodman as well as David Benavidez. For those people who didn't see it, um, I advise you obviously to go and watch it, but why don't you give people a little bit of an insight 
into the role of Margaret Goodman and what you were speaking about with David Benavides? Uh, Dr. Goodman, uh, she's the president of VADA and she has been the driving force behind the clean boxing program. Uh, we met uh, years ago and discussed the, the scope of a program that uh, for many uh, would seem to be impossible to do and it's been a reality, it's been a great uh, program that we pride for and, and that's one of our top priorities. We did stop for a couple of months the testing because it was dangerous for the collecting officers and more dangerous for the fighters and their families to take someone from outside when it was a lockdown. So we resumed testing and we have done several uh, in the UK, in uh, Europe, in in uh, United States, in Mexico, and uh, uh, she has been a tremendous asset for the sport. Uh, she's had a determination for the clean boxing, for the safety of boxers, and uh, Benavides was just uh, sensational to have him in the program. He's a living uh, example of the virtues of this program. He was 19 years old, he captured the world championship, the dream of any fighter, becomes WBC champion, uh, makes a title defense, with that comes fame, glory, money, temptations, and he fell into a wrong road. So a unannounced random test found him uh, with cocaine, and uh, we took immediate actions, which eventually led for him to completely change his uh, wrong momentary life that uh, had him confused. He moved away from where he was. Uh, he had uh, all types of uh, support uh, in terms of uh, rehabilitation, you know, psychologically, uh, addictions, additional testing. And now he's back, he's the WBC champion and he talks about it with no uh, shame, but uh, with a great uh, authority, moral authority to other fighters. So he's a great example, and, and we, that's a perfect uh, uh, example of the clean boxing program and the intentions and the motives that we have for spending so much money, time, and effort into something. And Margaret Goodman, as you mentioned, is somebody who holds uh, a lot of esteem and is somebody who is, is viewed as, as you correctly pointed out, somebody who, who brings a lot to the sport with, with regards to care of fighters and obviously anti-doping. Um, is Margaret concerned about, about that period of time where, where through no fault of the WBC or the clean boxing program or VADA themselves, you know, testing was had to be brought back? Did she have any concerns over what the potential ramifications of that would be? I'm not sure. Uh, we talked about it. Uh, we understood we had to do it. Um, there's uh, there's few that or some that uh, did not approve that the WBC announced it publicly. Uh, but now that's that's gone, and now we are uh, focusing in in the in the new things. And new things are coming. Uh, for example, uh, we can test for COVID-19 at the same time we do the drug testing. Uh, that's a great service that is being provided right now. And uh, we're looking into different ways of testing 
to make the process more economically uh, sensitive uh, so we can test more fighters and to have a different uh, avenue. So it's very exciting times for this program. With regards to the clean boxing program and anti-doping in boxing, obviously being a boxing channel, boxing fan, um, sometimes a cause of confusion for some fans is the varying different degrees of testing and some testing processes, even within VADA, you have the clean boxing program, but then there is a, an extra option where you can pay for additional testing. Then, of course, there is the 365 days a year testing, um, which is essentially what I want to talk to you about. What fighters are currently enrolled in 365 a, a year VADA? I'm not, I'm not sure. sure. We'll, we'll have, have to ask uh, Dr. Goodman uh, specifically. As, As you, you mentioned, mentioned there's, there's uh, levels or, or uh, components of the program. We have the unannounced random testing from the clean boxing program of the WBC, which is a system that monthly uh, names come up and, and they get tested. Uh, the promoters who, who contract fights uh, so they can do uh, before the fight a series of tests leading up to a fight. And then uh, individuals who are uh, into that uh, uh, voluntary program, and also the fighters who have had a, a positive, uh, when we do the, the announcement of, uh, of the results of, of the results management, uh, all of them have a period where they are, they are uh, sort of in a, in a program that they will be tested for six months or a year. So, like Alejandra Jimenez, she just uh, we just announced, so she will have a whole year where she can have she will have additional testing, and that that all depends. But if you wish, I can give you a list of all those who are in the 360 uh, year-round testing. That would be fantastic. Um, if you could do that, that would be great. Um, moving away from all things VADA testing and clean boxing program, I caught up with Eddie Hearn a couple of days ago to discuss all things AJ Fury. Um, AJ Fury, Fury White, Fury Wilder 3, and the heavyweight merry-go-round, as we all like to get on from time to time. Um, first question, obviously this week we were greeted, or maybe not greeted is probably not the right word, with news that Dillian White has taken legal action against the WBC. Now, I understand being a legal case that there are certain things and certain parameters that you are not able to go into, but what can you tell me from the WBC's perspective with regards to that legal action from Dillian White? Unfortunately, I have no comment. I cannot uh, comment on, on this case at this moment for obvious reasons. I truly regret I never... I never go around anything. Every topic is to be discussed, but unfortunately, uh, this, this is something that I cannot comment at this time. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, I'd like to point out for people who are watching this, that you have, as you say, you have always taken questions and, and answered and been as transparent as possible with Boxing Social, so understandable, and for this one, you can, you can get your pass. Um, with regards to the rest of the interview, I'm going to try it. Forgive me if certain questions kind of overlap, and, and feel free to to you know to to say what you like with regards to them. I appreciate there may be an overlap with regards to the WBC and Dillian White. Um, Eddie Hearn said to me that he doesn't he believes that there is a possibility that Wilder Fury three does not happen this year. Have you had any any indication from Deontay Wilder, who is of course the ex WBC champion, made ten defenses of the belt, that that could potentially be the case? No, uh, what I I know 
is that the fight is being uh, discussed and it's taking place, but uh, I don't have any dates or any specific information. The WC position is uh, Tyson Fury to to do that title defense, the commitment that he has on a contract, which is the third fight with Deontay Wilder. And then the WC's position is the next is the mandatory title defense. As I understand it from um, conversations that I've had uh, on camera and in interviews with people, that there was a um, there was a deadline for that fight to take place for the for the third fight to take place. But I think even even Tyson Fury said himself in an interview that there had to be room for scope given coronavirus and given COVID nineteen, you know, affecting the boxing schedule. Is that what we're seeing here with them thrashing out this deal? I don't know. I don't know, but. Uh... Anyone who does not understand that the world stopped for four, five, six months, we don't know still what's going to happen. Uh, there's a coronavirus and, and it keeps spreading and, and there's a lot of uncertainty. The WBC position is absolutely firm with regards to understanding that this has affected everyone. Every fighter, every champion, every challenger, every promoter. We will have all flexibility uh, on all and common sense uh, to deal with every single case of every single weight category. Now, following the announcement of Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury, or following the announcement that a financial deal, uh, beg your pardon, had been struck, um, not the same as an announcement of an official fight, as I'm sure you're very aware, um, one of the kind of things that came out after that was yourself, but also Paco Valcarcel of the WBO, insisting that the mandatories would have to be satisfied before any AJ Fury undisputed fight. Is that the WBC's position still, that the mandatory must be observed before that fight? Well, our position is, and it has been clear since... Uh, I have been very open since the interviews in, in lockdown, and I could have avoided that question. I have been absolutely firm that uh, the WBC had uh, a third fight between Fury and Wilder as, as, a, as a schedule, and then that uh, Dylan White is a mandatory, and we have the date of February 21. So that has been the case. Uh, it will not change. The dates could change regardless of, I mean, regarding because of the coronavirus, but uh, that is the WBC's uh, line that we have to follow. Uh, a, a third fight and then the mandatory defense. In the interview, Eddie Hearn said that he he and Dillian White didn't want to fight for... didn't want Tyson Fury to be elevated to franchise champion, and they suspected that that, that may be the case. Have there been any conversations around Tyson Fury becoming franchise champion? Well, well, I think, I, think I, I, I will have, have to read Eddie Hearn's book that is coming out. Uh, he seems, seems to have a lot of histories and stories and, and information. No, we, we have not uh, had any, any conversations, any, any petitions whatsoever with that regard. I also asked Eddie, and this is something that I, uh, I mean, we spoke about back end of last year, August, September last year, with regards to the franchise status. If... Tyson Fury was elevated to franchise champion. Would a fight between himself and Anthony Joshua therefore still be an undisputed title fight? Of, of course. course. Uh, 
I mean, I'm not, I'm not entertaining any situation regarding uh, Fury and franchise because uh, that has not been set forth. And I would ask Eddie which hat he's wearing, you know, Joshua or White when he talks all these things. Uh, I would say, and I reaffirm, we have uh, Canelo Alvarez and Lomachenko, the two franchise uh, designations. And they represent the WBC on every uh, single fight they, they engage. And uh, force that unification. Absolutely. Uh, if they fight a champion of another organization, it's considered a unification. You make a good point there. That, 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 is, that is the whole purpose of the franchise. To allow the great fights to take place uh, when, when you elevate a fighter fight to franchise. That is the, for very few cases, as it is Canelo and Lomachenko. So I, I will, I prefer not to entertain the heavyweight situation uh, regarding this topic at this time. Okay, fair enough. Final question, just on something that you just mentioned there. So I think it's a good time to probably touch upon that. You mentioned Eddie Hearn with an AJ hat and a Dillian White hat. Do you think that that's been an issue with getting this over the line, having kind of the, the promoter being so involved with two big fighters, two fighters around that kind of level? Well, well he's, he's very successful. successful. He's, he's doing, doing a great, great job. job. He's, he's a great, great promoter. promoter. He, he has, has brought, brought uh, uh, British boxing to a level that uh, it has been deserved for many, many years. Uh, uh, British uh, boxing was born in Britain. And uh, it's, it's a national, national sport, sport and, and the, 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 the reality is that today the sport is booming in all ways as it should, should have been for many years. Uh, I, I believe that Eddie is responsible for great part of the success of this uh, great uh, British boxing program right now. He's got many fighters, he's got uh, television deals and he's got a great success. So, I'm, I'm proud of Eddie. Eddie. I think he's a successful promoter, a driving force of the sport, and he has uh, to deal with uh, cases where he has fighters in the same weight category, fighters in the great level. So it's a difficult situation for him to be handling uh, those situations. Kind of leads me in nicely to my final question. Really, I spoke to Eddie, and Eddie said to me that, in his opinion, boxing—and this is not—you uh, know, this is not. Uh, a lone opinion or a sole opinion from Eddie, it's something that we do hear across the sport quite a lot, is he believes that there needs to be one entity in boxing, there needs to be one overseeing body who oversees, forgive me, governing bodies such as the WBC, the WBA, the WBO, the IBF, etc., all under one one umbrella. I believe that the term was one entity. What's your comment on that? I would have to talk to him and understand what he's trying to say. Uh, the WBC is uh, an example of a world organization, 166 countries in the world. We are the moving organization with the constant changes and improvements of the sport. Uh, I don't know what he, he would try to say, but uh, it would be better to have a conversation and, and discussion back and forth because otherwise it could be uh, misleading. Uh, I could, I could be understanding something different from what he is saying. I would like to talk to him about it and uh, I'll be happy to do so and open up a nice discussion. 
Well, hopefully so. And if you need to, Mauricio, just have a look at the interview. We'll see what he said. I'll send you the link, and then maybe I can get you and Eddie to have a discussion on Boxing Social. I'll be happy to do so. Okay, great. Mauricio, always a pleasure. Thanks very much for catching up with me and Boxing Social. Do appreciate that you are limited on, on things that you can and can't say, but appreciate your time nonetheless. Always a pleasure catching up with you, Mauricio Solomon. Thanks very much. Same to you. Have, have a great, great weekend, weekend, my friend. friend. Take, Take care. care. Thanks, Mauricio. In, in the history of me being a fan of, of fighting, I don't know anybody, probably other than Ali, that commanded like the, uh, the electricity that you brought in a building. I remember you coming to that basketball game that Puffy had in New York. You, yeah, literally, you literally, literally shut the whole game, the whole auditorium. You shut it down. What was that, what was that feeling like for you? Hey, listen, Charlie, I'm going to tell you something that my wife don't like, okay? I trained, I, I, I expect that. This is why I trained for. I trained for that. This is why I trained. Wow. So when it happens, why should I be surprised? Wow. Why, why should I say, oh my God, I'm very humble. I trained for this. I, I, I caused this to happen. So when you go out now in your life every day, you're anticipating to draw the crowd towards you. You want it. No. I didn't know it's going to happen. Listen, Charlie, no, my wife says, my wife doesn't like the way I think sometimes. She said, um, if nobody said anything to you, you went outside, no one said hi, you might commit suicide. Whoa! God damn. You wouldn't know what to do if you went outside, no one acknowledged you. Because all my life, that's what I wanted. I wanted to be acknowledged, so I killed myself to be acknowledged. In order to live, you have to kill yourself. Hey, Fi fans, it's Michelle Joy Phelps. If you haven't already subscribed to my YouTube channel, make sure you go ahead and do so by clicking this icon right here and hit the bell button so you can get notified every time we upload a new video. And we also have a free app available on iTunes and Google Play. So make sure you go ahead and download that. Bye, Fi fans.